friends, and welcome to another episode of Zippy the Wonder Snail. I am so glad to be here with you with my co-commissar, Jason. Hey, comrade, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Tim? I am good as well. I am so glad to be here, and we are recording this episode as you are probably on the road. Not in the recording, that would be difficult, but we are pre-recording this episode because you are going on a road trip this summer. That's right. I am I am moving to South Carolina and it's going to be it's going to be a beautiful drive, uh, a beautiful trip down through the mountains in North Carolina. Um and I've been told by friends at church that it'll be one of the most beautiful things I'll ever see, so I'm excited about that part of it. And just to have my family there with me, my brother's going to bring his family and they're just going to go on vacation in addition to trying to help me move. So it'll be just a big thing um, for the family to tell me, you know, kind of live out a dream uh, to be a school teacher there. So uh, I'm excited. Hopefully the kids will be excited in a positive way. Uh, <laughs> be a good trip and looking forward to seeing that part of the country, especially. Yeah, it should be beautiful, and uh, certainly I, I know I'm excited for you because I know, and I'm excited for those kids because you're going to be a fantastic teacher. It's going to be really great, and uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we will have to hear about some of the stories from the classroom in future episodes. Yes, within within the norms of within the norms of law and good taste, I'd be happy to share uh, some stories once. Once I'm in the classroom and and then once we get going, so it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah, I, I cannot wait for that. That will be great. Um, of course, you're doing this in the middle of summer, so it's right in the middle of normal road trip season. Obviously, most road trips aren't one way, and uh, I'm hoping it's not entirely one way for you, comrade. We we definitely need to get you back here to Missouri on a regular basis because uh, it's our loss here in the Show Me State that you are going to be way down in the south uh singing dixie but you know uh <laughs> well i i know of your just various plans to conspire to keep me here and to bring me back to little hills and so on and so forth so your your schemes are boundless so i know Indeed. that i'll barely escape your clutches yeah, you you will not escape, and I already have it. I mean, it's it's as unchangeable as the law of the Medes and the Persians that you are going to come back and preach at Little Hills again. So, so I'm I'm glad for that. That is right. I guess we gave it away. I guess your audience will now sharply decline uh, your your congregation there at Little Hills. But uh, no, it'll be a joy to do that, and a joy to be with you in person again soon before too long. Yeah, and I've promised pizza this upcoming time. Uh, those of you that were at Little Hills a few weeks ago when, when Jason came and preached, we talked about that last episode. Um, but those of you that were there know that you missed out on a barbecued hot dog because it appeared that the rain was going to rain on our parade. And as it turned out, it didn't rain on the parade, but we didn't have the food because we thought it was going to rain on the parade. So next time Jason comes and preaches, we'll have homemade pizza. And uh, so it will be pizza with a comrade. It'll be great. Do you th- do you think maybe we could add on hot dogs on that same occasion, or would that be too much? Uh, weather permitting, I'd be all for it. Uh, so if it's warm enough that I can 
can smoke those hot dogs, we can just make it a big old party. Oh, that is true. Missouri will be flakier on the weather than South Carolina will be, so uh, who knows? Yeah, well, if not, we'll do pizza next time, and then the net, the time after that, we'll do hot dogs. I may have to induct you into the into the brotherhood of air fryer hot dogs as well, because they're not bad. Oh, I have never tried an air fryer hot dog. That sounds interesting. It is. It is. Ooh. That'll be for another episode. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. But you're you're, t- you're talking my language. I, I'm I I love hot dogs. That's change I can believe in. Then, all yeah. right. You know. One good thing about a hot dog is a hot dog is there for you. I mean, there are all kinds of wonderful things you could eat, but but you 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 get a hot dog and you know it's going to be comforting and it's going to be delicious. And uh, we're kind of looking for that, I, I feel like. And I wrote about a few weeks ago uh, a piece on Open for Business. I wrote about how much life has changed over these last few years, and you think about how we. We cruised into 2020. Everything seemed to be going a particular way. And yeah, there was some societal upheaval. There was some uncertainty. There were all kinds of things like that. But it felt like, and I think, I I really believe that we're, as a society, in a period of collective mourning, because it felt like here we were in a particular trajectory. The world was, by and large, how we expected it to be. And then you have the pandemic come. And whether you want to acknowledge that the pandemic is still here, whether you want to pretend it it isn't, whether you've gotten COVID, whether you haven't gotten COVID, whether you've lost loved ones, whether you haven't, whatever the case may be, I, I think everyone would agree our world is just profoundly different than it was a couple of years ago. And it's kind of hard to process. Yeah, we were so, I remember when 2020 started, we were so full of hope and possibility. I mean, we're past the years that most of our dystopian science fiction is set in. So we thought, okay, it's 2020. We're going to do some good things and some good things are going to happen. And then COVID hit us in March that year and it, it just changed everything around. And it's affected how we do everything. You know, regardless of our opinions on the issue, it's affected how we do everything. It's, it's made a lot of us more cautious and it, it's, kept us from getting together as families and friends and neighbors and 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 that's hurting us you know one of the that was one of the things about uh the debates over the lockdowns was the mental health costs of the lockdowns um however um positive they may be in the short term um it's the mental health costs of people being separated from one another i know being here um kind of in my apartment before we had the vaccines and having no visitors, it was really tough. And I had to use all my, all my powers of extroversion and technology to connect with people like you and others, uh, just to avoid from going crazy. So we've suffered a lot. And, and that was a lot of what your piece was about that some of that will never get that back. Yeah. And I think that's where I know for myself, I think it's worn on me more like, I'm enough of an introvert that the first few months of the pandemic, it, it sounds sort of bad to say, um, but the first few months were actually kind of peaceful for me. It, it was a chance to sort of reset. I'd been through some pretty stressful things leading into the pandemic, and it I, I was more productive. I, I was feeling pretty good, even as this horrible thing was happening around me. And I again, I, I felt a little guilty about it, but 
but that was the case for me. However, I think part of the reason I, I could feel relatively good is I, I thought, as everyone did, that, well, eventually we'll go back to normal. It, it might be two weeks, you know, two weeks to, to, um, what was it? Flatten the curve. Um, and I don't think I ever really thought it was only going to be two weeks, but, you know, three months, even a year. Then we got into, to last year and we had vaccines and it seemed like well, now we're going to conquer everything. But here we are. We're in the middle of 2022. We're almost two and a half years out from the pandemic and we still have COVID raging. This is something that wears on me as a, a pastor. The numbers are, are higher than I'd really like as I'm bringing people in and we're singing together and we're praying together and we're hugging each other. And I, I definitely don't want to be the cause of anyone's illness or, or death. And, and yet there's also this, this challenge that it's not really clear when it ends now. You know, we had these things we thought we could do that maybe would bring it to an end. Now it feels like, is this just something we live with? Do we, are we just back in the 19th century where, where death from a virus is a, a real and present thing that we, we have to live with? Is that it? Um, so there's that kind of change. And then just people's attitudes. It feels like they've changed so much. I, every time I go out and drive any place, I can't wait to get off the road because, well, if I don't get off the road, someone feels like they're going to drive me off the road. I mean, the other day I was driving down a, a, a nice but not major street and someone was telling me so much. I was going over the speed limit. I don't like doing that. I was going over the speed limit. And then they go careening around me like 20 or 30 miles an hour faster than that still. And it's just, you know, what has happened to us? It's just it's, the world is so different than it was a few years ago. Yeah, like we were talking about NASCAR in the last episode, but sheesh, <laughs> going around you like it's a NASCAR race. That's unfortunate. And I think, you know, like you've been saying, uh, because of the pandemic, because of things related to the pan pandemic, uh, political crises around the world, I think everyone's anxious. There's more anxiety. There's more people um, just not dealing well with their own feelings and and how to relate to others. M more on edge, maybe more violence. You know, we've seen political violence the last couple of years. Um, and, and it's just really tough. And that's going to bring about some sadness about what we've lost. And... Uh, Hopefully, hopefully we'll get some of it back, but it's, we're just challenged in this place and we're, we're going to be challenged for a bit longer. I think that's what yeah. you were trying to speak to there. Yeah. And I think, I think sort of, it was one of those places where I almost wanted to put it out just because I think we all kind of need permission to grieve it. Um, you know, I'd love for everything to go back, but, but realistically at this point, and I think this is where it's really hit me. I don't think I any longer expect us to reach what we had back in 2020, say January 2020 again. We may, I hope that we have plenty of good times ahead. I mean, I'm not forecasting the end of the world. I'm not a doomsday prophet, but the world that we knew just feels like it's somehow lost. And, and while I never would have associated back in my 2019 self the word innocence with what we were were as a culture, it almost feels like we've lost some kind of innocence, that something has died. And um, I, I just think I see it in everybody. Everyone I talk to is, is like you said, anxious. Uh, a lot of people are depressed. And I, I sort of think it's because our collective reality has changed so much and there isn't an easy path back. And, you know, uh, we talked last 
episode about Psalm 88, sometimes we just have to actually grieve things and, and, and acknowledge where we are and, and things. And I, I sort of feel like maybe as a society, we have one of those moments right now. And I, I think when we, when we try to pick up from there, um, one, of the, one of the ways that we pick up from there, and we'll get into that when we get into Psalm 89, but we're still called through Christ to love one another. But our challenge is, what does it look like to love one another? What does it look like we're feeling anxious when we're feeling, we're, when we're in grief? What does it look like to still, to love, to persist, even if we don't feel great because of all that we're facing? Um, and in Psalm 89, I'm just going to grab one part of it and kind of talk about, about that, um, because the steadfast love of the Lord is, is always what we can count on. I'm going to scroll a little bit here. Uh, yeah, there we go. Verse 28 of Psalm 89. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. So <laughs> there's a lot of, um, in this psalm, there's a lot of, the Lord is righteous, the Lord is mighty, and he's crushing his enemies. But to those, to those who are bound by his steadfast covenant love, uh, he has words of mercy and peace and joy uh, for us always. We can rest in his, in his covenant love. And, and we're going to be, you know, no matter how we feel, we're going to be agents of his steadfast love if we are in Christ and we are walking with Christ. So we, we have to, you know, in a sense, we're trusting him to wipe away our tears, but we've, we've still got the mission to love, and that may look different. I don't know if that was an encouraging word for you or not, Tim, but... Definitely encouraging. Um, and really, if we just go on in Psalm 89, it's encouraging as well. It, if you go a few, few more verses, it says, the Lord says, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod. And then, and their iniquity with, with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. So that goes along with what you were saying. Um, and I, I think this is something, this is definitely something that I know I've talked through with people plenty of times where they think, well, sure, God has steadfast love, but maybe it's not for me. Maybe, maybe I've strayed and so, and so God's steadfast love isn't for me. But what we see here is that even when God brings punishment, even when we actually do stray from him, he's steadfast and we can return to him and his love is still there and it's still fresh and it's still rejuvenated. And again, that's the, that's the covenant love in Christ. Because even if we're, even if we're seeking mercy because We've definitely gone astray, and we know that. We're still experiencing his steadfast love in Jesus Christ to draw us back, to draw us back to repentance, to, to help us renew ourselves, to, to, rest in, to rest in the covenant that Christ himself established. Um, so no matter where we are, his love is for us. He knows us by name. I'm going to 
say this again, I'm going to grab another part that's not in Psalm 89, but it's my, it's my favorite verse. Romans 5, 8. Um, God shows his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, we got to keep, man, we got to keep repeating that as many times. So even, even if we're, st- even if we're standing sort of outside and we need to repent, Christ already saw all that. He saw that when he decided to go to the cross for you and me. Um, he wasn't wait, he wasn't waiting for a more perfect version of you to love. He saw the worst and he was like, I love that person who they are right now. And I will, and I will make them who I want the father, who the, who the Father wants them to become um, through my love. So we've got to trust. We've got to believe. We've got to rest in that covenant love. And it's so hard because like you've been saying, we're going to, we've experienced grief. We've experienced struggle. Sometimes we need to sit in that struggle, but we also need to put the struggle in the context of what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, what Christ will do, and the Father's pleasure in us because of what Christ has done. So, uh, man, I don't know. That that's big. It, you can't just you can't just wish it away or even preach it away. But it is true. Yeah, and that's what we can remind each other of, right? I mean, that's the beauty of the body of Christ is we we preach to each other. We we take those times that one of us is is struggling, and we preach the hope of of the Lord to that person, and then. Then we're struggling, and they preach it to us. Yep, and that is even the case. Even if I'm a one-trick pony, that's always preaching the steadfast love of God in Christ. But it's a good—it's a good pony. It does a good trick. So it never ceases. Well, I'm glad to have the honor to encourage you, comrade, as as you do for me. So hopefully, our listeners can be also encouraged, no matter what they're feeling or going through or grieving, uh, etc. Yes, definitely. about some pretty deep things and sometimes we we get so wrapped up in them that it just kind of overwhelms us and i think that's for me one of the reasons why i have gotten into word a day games over the the past few months i have always loved word games but it's been helpful in the midst of everything going on all the stuff we're processing to just tune out for a few minutes a day and just play with words and so one of the ways you can do that is from faithtree.com. It's Anagrammal. It's a companion to Biblical. And the thing I love about Anagrammal is that it is an opportunity to take a word, and it's a seven-letter word drawn from the Bible, and take the letters of it and see if you can create five valuable words out of it. So each letter has points like in Scrabble. So you you pick out the letters, you try to get as many points as possible and see if you can beat your friends by getting the most valuable five words out of that first starting word that you're given. 
it's just a way to kind of unplug for a few minutes every day and maybe just feed a little bit of competitive spirit with your friends at the same time. And you can do that by going to anagrammel.com. We have the link in the show notes. Check it out. A-N-A-G-R-A-M-L-E.com. So, comrade, I am pleased to hear your conversion is virtually complete, if not complete. It, 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 it's pretty complete. And you may be thinking, okay, he's already a Christian. He, he goes to church. What is this man talking about? We're not talking about churches or, or becoming a Christian or anything like that. No sacraments were involved in this segment. Um, <laughs> no, we're talking about my conversion. Uh, as a loyal Apple user, um, and it's really been a joy. I've got a brand new iMac. I'm so excited with the M1 processor. It's it's so wicked fast. I'm using it right now to record this episode with our beloved Tim. So uh, I love it. I'm in. I'll never go back to another personal computer again. Wow, he's applauding. Do you hear that, listeners? He's applauding. Yes, it, it, wow. it's so good when to see someone come from the darkness of Windows into the light of Mac. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm just so excited. Uh, you know, I, I say it in jest, and of course we take conversion and and faith very seriously here on Zippy, but there is some truth to the fact that us Mac users do get kind of evangelistic about our Macs. I, I became a Mac user, wow, 18 years ago now. Uh, Actually, I bought my first modern Mac. It was a used iMac, but I got it uh, 19 years ago now. But I really started using Macs full-time 18 years ago now, and, and I've, I've been party to plenty of people switching, and it always brings me great joy. I, I know I'd for a long time in college and in seminary, I'd go and repair people's computers as a, a side business, and they'd say, well, what kind of computer do you have as I'm fixing their Windows computer? And I'd say, well, I have a Mac, and they'd say, but you're always working on Windows computers. And I said, that's exactly the point. I get tired of working on Windows computers for everybody else, so I go and use a Mac when I come home. And, uh, you know, it, it was so nice having a computer that wasn't breaking all the time. So it is nice. And that M1 processor, I'm so glad you're experiencing that wicked fast speed. It's just incredible to me that every Mac, well, other than the Mac Pro, which virtually no one can afford, every Mac that's currently available now from the from the cheapest Mac Mini up to everything else high-end other than the Mac Pro is now running a variant of that processor. And they're just ridiculously fast. And and I just want to, and, and I echo all of that. Just the speed is incredible. And, I, and I've and i done video calls and, and we're, we're doing a, you know, we're doing a video right now as we're recording this episode. Um, and there's no hitches whatsoever. But I want to talk about with Apple products, what I'm experiencing and what I like about it is the user experience. One of yes. the things that Apple does as a company is, is they're like, okay, what is the, what is the usability? What's the user experience going to be when the average person tries to use this? And they try to focus on that and they try to make it as seamless and, and intuitive as they can for the user. Um, and ever, ever since I've emerged from my, arrogant teens and twenties. Um, 
I don't have this powerful need to know something about computers that other people don't know. I, I, I think a lot of us men go through this. And so, uh, <laughs> and I, I like to tell people that my computer literacy is going backward. So I'm, I'm becoming much more fond of a, a pleasant, easy user experience for a person who, uh, is going toward computer literacy kindergarten with rapid speed. And, and Apple makes it easy for people that may not intuit some things, or at least not anymore. Just click here and it does this and you go here and it does this and it's, you know, it's two finger strokes and we're, where we need to be. And it, you know, uh, I love their focus on the user experience and I hope it continues. Uh, cause I'm, I'm loving the Mac, uh, loving the speed, of course. And, and you know, I, I, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but Apple care is the insurance on the products that you can get for, for service in case something goes wrong with, within the time period. And, just the customer service is fantastic with Apple. They're so friendly and they act like, you know, they act like you're a member of Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs's family when you call them and ask questions. You know, uh, it's great. So keep that going, Apple. Keep that yeah. going. I have found Apple Care really consistently great, uh, from my earliest days as an Apple user onward. Um, Actually, my, my first Mac that I, I purchased new, it was a, a PowerBook. So basically a MacBook back when Apple was still running PowerPC processor. Um, I bought AppleCare for it and the CD drive and it failed, I guess, I think it was like 28 days after the AppleCare ended. And, and I went oh. into the Apple store and I, they look at my computer. And they looked at the warranty and I, I, you know, no guarantee they'll do this for every person every time. But they looked at my computer and they said, that's too close to the end of the warranty. We'll just replace it for you. And from that oh, point, wow. I was just sold on Apple Care. I thought, fine, I'll just wow. buy everything. Wow. Yeah. Because if anyone's done any repair on. They didn't have to do that. No, no, not at all. And it, it was just, okay, that's above and beyond. And if you're going to go above and beyond, I'm going to. Uh, make sure to buy the warranty, but also the computer. Like you said, the experience is so good. And what I'd imagine you're probably seeing now as an iPhone and iPad user as well is how all the, all the devices work together, which is really nice. Yeah. You know, since Microsoft hasn't been successful in the mobile space, um, you have Android as sort of the equivalent in mobile space. You don't have that tight integration between the different devices that you have with the Apple products and that. It makes it so much easier to get stuff done, which is, you know, really the point of a computer, right? Is to get stuff done. Yeah. I mean, I'm working with a pretty, uh, I've got a pretty old iPad Pro, um, that I'm working with. Uh, so sometimes when I go into the messages, messages app on the iPad, it's a little behind where my iPhone is because I know who I sent messages to and I know what I said. Um, uh, and and it goes kind of slowly at times, but that just says to me that it's probably time for a, a new iPad when I get the chance. So um, it is nice to just I can turn to any device in my home, and with the integration, there's no I don't have to go through this colossal effort to do whatever it is I'm doing. I'm using the same programs, 
with the same keystrokes, basically the same, yeah, the same user actions, and I get the same result. So that's that's great, and I love that. Yep, we could talk about that all day long. Geek with me for a moment here, comrade. And this is just something that I think almost feels magical. If you, I'm not sure if you tried it yet. Have you tried Universal Control? I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Well, if you if you uh, go into the settings on your Mac, you don't even have to go into the iPad settings. I don't believe. Um, when you have an iPad and a Mac on the same account, you can actually now take your mouse and your keyboard from your Mac and control your iPad. Uh, so, if you, it's like so. I, I do the I do this during our men's Bible study. I'll have my Bible on my iPad, and I have my laptop out. And I can take my mouse and just go over and start clicking things on the iPad. I can type in scripture references and so on on the iPad using my Mac keyboard. Uh, it, it's so nice. What a world. Okay. Well, I'm going to get with another Apple user and, and ask questions about that and see if I can, if I can get that going. It, it may not, it may not be a need that I have, but that's really cool that, um, that they can do that. So that's. Yeah. And other things that they've been doing for years, that's a new one, but like you can you can copy something on your Mac and paste it on your iPad. It just transfers without having to think about it. I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I love it. And I know a lot of people say, well, Apple products are so much more expensive. And we might as well talk about this before we move on. Uh, I'm going to get on my hobby horse here. Uh, you need to look at how long the devices last. And back when I was in the PC world, I was going through a PC like every three years and feeling like I was barely making it at th- three year mark because it was so slow. And, and of course it was bogged down with things. And I usually had to do some kind of intervention from malware or, or what have you. I've gone seven, eight years with a Mac without any trouble. Uh, I, one of the Macs I use regularly, let's see, it, it's nine years old now and it still works great. And so even if it costs a bit more upfront, if you have it run better for longer, uh, that needs to be part of how you think about it because look at how often you're buying computers or how often you're buying phones or how often you're buying tablets, if whatever devices you use, and see if an Apple product wouldn't last longer. And if it lasts longer, it's not necessarily more expensive. People will say, well, but you know, an iPhone is so much more expensive. But, but if you actually take a, a, a like a, a, a brand new Samsung phone, it's the same price as an iPhone. It's only when you're looking at one that's like three or four years old that it's cheaper. And, People often miss this, but the iPhone SE that goes for, is it $399? Maybe it's $499 right now. Um, yeah. But often you can get it for free with a new contract at your carrier. Um, that has the same current generation processor that's faster than literally any Android phone. Uh, and it's the cheapest iPhone on the market. So you don't have to go up to the iPhone Pro Max to get the best iPhone processor. It's in every single one they released this year. Um, and it, And so it sort of when you look at it that way, suddenly Apple doesn't seem necessarily more expensive, right? And and some of the other some of the other companies and products uh, like the 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 patches and and the use of an old product over a space of time does not go very well. So, the, right, they don't they don't update their stuff. It doesn't integrate well. But Apple send you a patch or what you know send you an update for the operating system. And you're good to go, no matter what you're using. So, yeah. uh, I'm I'm sold, even though I will freely acknowledge that cost up front. Um, and if it's not in your price range, it's not. But um, if it is, it it pays for itself. 
Yeah. Pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, and just look at those those overall costs. Like, uh, you know, the average Android phone only gets security updates for two years or less. So if you're saying, well, I'm going to save money by using an Android phone, but you're insecure and people could steal your bank account or steal your contacts and spam them and do all kinds of bad things after two years, you're not really necessarily saving money. You might lose it in a different way where an iPhone gets p- updates for five, six, seven years now. So, um, you know, seriously, look at people need to look at that whole that what they'd say in the IT industry, the total cost of ownership. Um, we, yeah, we are not officially licensed Apple representatives here on the show, but uh, we could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, Maybe now that else. you're a Mac user, we need to geek out more on this and drive all of our listeners crazy because uh, it's dangerous. Yeah, that's right. We've, we've got a few we've got a few dissenters in our friend group, don't we, Tim? So Just a few. They'll be driven <laughs> we'll, crazy. We'll get them there eventually. <laughs> We're going to be talking about truth here in a moment, comrade. And, and as we move towards a discussion of truth, let me just mention to our listeners one of our favorite sponsors, grow.faithtree.com. It's a great place to delve into the truth every single week as we have sermons and articles. Zippy the Wonder Snail shows up there. Lots of content, devotionals from the Psalms that you and I and Jim and Melanie have been doing. All kinds of great content that you can go to and explore God's Word, the truth. We know that God's Word is true. We approach God's Word with that belief. We're, we're not approaching it wondering if it's true. We believe it's true, although we go into details to help people that might be asking if it's the truth to, to think about it and to understand it. So, whether you're a lifelong Christian or you're just exploring the faith or you're not even sure you want to explore the faith, check out grow.faithtree.com. Read some of the stuff. There, there's tags. You can get to certain topics. Maybe something is on your mind and you can see who's written about that. You can type in a scripture reference and see who has talked about it, preached about it amongst the Faith Tree Network. It can be a great way to encourage you this week to grow in the faith and to grow in the truth. Grow.faithtree.com. Speaking of the truth, comrade, uh, our colleague over Open for Business wrote a piece a couple weeks ago on the truth or his mourning about the truth because it seems like in our society, a lot of people don't really appreciate the truth anymore. And so he wrote a piece, The, the Collapse of Truth, Dennis E. Powell, and, and he, he starts with a, a observation about a Japanese movie he, he was watching that was on the creation of a Mitsubishi aircraft in World War II. And apparently, it's historical fiction. About half the story is true. About half the story is invented out of whole cloth for whatever reason. It doesn't seem like it was even necessary. And that bothers him. He's wrestling with that he wants his fiction, his historical fiction, not to just invent characters when there are real-life characters they could have used. And that leads him to the point that it feels an awful lot like we we're bombarded by so much disregard for truth in in nonfiction, whether it's in our news, whether it's in our friends discussing the world. As a society, we've distanced ourselves so much from the truth that they found himself upset when a, a movie wasn't true because if what's supposed to be true, if what's supposed to be nonfiction isn't true, then 
then you need at least your fiction to be true. And I, I thought that was kind of an interesting approach, but it, it really does bring up a, a, a big, big problem in our society today. Yeah, I mean, you can and you can go different directions with this. We could we could talk philosophically about um, the the loss of what we'd call realism or epistemic realism in favor of something else, in in favor of a skepticism where where people say uh, our reason won't help us at all. We can't know anything by reason. That brings up problems. But then practically and ethically, and this is sort of what Dennis is getting at, is people, um, when truth is not valued and we're not living in a shared truth, then um, the proclamation of things and the giving of information is about manipulation and not seeking the truth and sharing the truth together. So, And we're seeing a whole lot more of that depending on where, no matter where it comes from, it comes from all directions where people are just, they've got their goals and they have power to acquire and there's no bound being bound to the truth because we've given up on finding it or caring about if it matters. And so Dennis is right to lament that. And, you know, and he brought up historical fiction a little bit there. Um, one of the, I'm going to, I'm going to have a little mini rant about the Da Vinci code. Um, because, because some of that was really silly. Um, and, and just bad, bad with the history of what happened with the Council of Nicaea and all that stuff. Um, and, and someone said to me, but it's a, it's a movie. It's just a story. But if you situate a story within what's supposed to be the real world, then you have to tell the truth about at least that part of, of the, of the world. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you can make up whatever fictional thing you want for your story, but you can't just change history um, right. to tell your story. Uh, and, and we're losing that. We're losing those fine distinctions and also the value of the truth. And I, I saw it there and I almost rolled out of that movie. I almost I almost just left. Um, I was mad enough. I stuck it out and finished it. But I, it, it's just one of those things where this guy's supposed to be he was supposed to be some professor, you know, the main character. And like no professor would make this mistake. Like it's just bad history, bad everything. So anyway. Yeah, you know, the funny thing that movie did, uh, well, in the book, I, I've actually never seen the movie, but I did read the novel uh, when it first was sort of a, a big thing. Um, what it did is it actually united, as far as uh, biblical scholarship, the, the far left and the far right of the biblical scholarship world. You had, you had atheist biblical scholars defending the historicity of parts of the Bible and the development of the church, and you had, of course, the those that are much more... Uh, committed to the truth of the Bible, also doing it because it was sort of like, well, this isn't, this isn't just, you know, a skeptical approach on faith. This is just bad history. Um, yeah. Which, which, you know, in itself maybe would be forgivable, except for the fact that it presented itself in such a way that people were supposed to take it seriously. And people did take it seriously. I mean, I, I still hear people citing alleged things about, about the church and about the Bible that I'm almost positive they got originally from the Da Vinci Code. And, and it's just, you know, I, take this as good or bad regarding me. I actually did 
I have to confess, enjoy reading the novel. It was a page turner. It wasn't a great piece of literature, but it, you know, I kept turning the page. Yeah. But it, it made some really unfortunate historical claims and largely unnecessary even. That, that's the funny thing. A lot of it wasn't needed. There was plenty of intrigue in the history of the church they could have uh, been exploring in that, that story without just making up stuff just to basically insult Jesus. And that, that's, that's where it, it gets really bad is that it's used to undermine a traditional Christian understanding of who Jesus is. Um, and so, you know, there's no good reason for what it does, and it's certainly not historical. But it is funny, isn't it? Because you take a, a work like that or the one that Dennis was talking about, um, when we get to historical fiction, we actually expect to learn something about history in it. And it, it, that can be dangerous because right. we can walk away right. with a, a really, really mixed bag but think that we've learned something. I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to affirm one of my favorite authors here, well, and I'm still learning because I don't know all of his stories, but uh, Herman Woke, who we just died, not to be confused with any theory of <laughs> yeah. politics or how to live, but Herman Woke, W-O-U-K, uh, he's a, um, an author, a Jewish author, um, historical fiction, World War II, that kind of stuff, uh, The Winds of War and also War and Remembrance were two huge books. They weren't the only ones, but those are the big ones uh, that I'm familiar with. And he was really assiduous with the history, even while The Winds of War is this romantic story with fictional characters living through World War II. He got the history right, and he was deeply committed to that, and it makes it a better story. So you can, you can, grab, onto the, you can grab onto the romance and whatever, and you feel like the miniseries, and I hope some women out there would love the miniseries. I know my mom did. She borrowed my copy of The Winds of War, my miniseries copies there. But also you can get into the history, too. Like, oh, this was, you know, this was how the, the Nazis and the Soviets were relating in 41, and that formed the alliance, and, uh, and then the U.S. jumped in, and then, you know, here's Case Yellow. Hitler's plans to invade France and uh, just a great a great reverence for the truth and for the historical facts that many of his readers live through. So uh, there's where that obligation to the truth comes in. And then if you have a story besides, fine, but the obligation to the truth doesn't go away just because you have fictional characters uh, right. in there. So we could talk about that all day long. Maybe we'll come back to it uh, on a later segment, but yeah, lo- losing the reverence for the truth is a bad thing. Yeah. yeah, I think that's something, you know, as Christians, we believe that God is truth, right? He He's the author of truth. He's the one that gives us truth. He's the one that created reality itself. And, and I think maybe it's just a closing thought. One thing that strikes me is it disturbs me when we as Christians, because we like the narrative of something in, in our world, will move forward with something that in any other setting we would reject is clearly not true. And I guess that's something I think we all need to be careful of, especially, I'd say, in our political world today, because our political parties and our politicians care nothing for the truth. And we just need to acknowledge that. And then as we follow Jesus, what we need to do is say, just because my favorite politician's narrative goes this way doesn't mean it's true. And it doesn't mean that I have to adopt the other side. It doesn't mean I have to, you know, 
do whatever the evil of the other party, whatever that happens to be, is. Um, we can hold those whom we agree with accountable to the truth as well, and we ought to. And, and it's not just a nice thought. I really think as Christians, it's our duty because we need to show as Christians that we don't just believe the story because we th- of the Bible because we think it's a nice story and it makes us feel good. We believe it because it's true, that God is true. And if we play fast and loose with the facts the rest of life, people look at us and assume that we're play- playing fast and loose when we come to our faith as well. And, and may that not be. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's a good final thought right there. We've been babbling on for quite a while. Um, but have we reached the end of another episode of Zippy the Wonder Snail? I'm afraid we have, and we we did it a little differently this time, so it feels a little disorienting, but we, of course, did visit uh, Psalm 89 at the beginning, and here we are with truth at the end. We we know our God is truth, and we, as two Christian guys, love to come and explore the truth. We We are two Christian guys zipping through the news and culture that matter to you, and our listeners, they ought to do something if they haven't already, shouldn't they, Conrad? What should they do? They should find Zippy the Wonder Snail on their favorite uh, podcasting uh, service. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there. Uh, yeah. And check us out. They should absolutely do that so they never miss an episode. I can't wait to see what's ahead in the coming days and weeks of Zippy. It's always so good to be with you, comrade, to explore these things, and it's great to share it with our listeners. You as well, comrade, and I'll see you next time. 